0: I'm about to hide behind the pulpit here. Who says pastors don't get nervous? And especially on a first time like this occasion. And to make things worse, there's a group of individuals here who know all my pastor secrets. They'd surprise me today. But the first thing that I want to emphasize today is the fact that many, many members of this congregation, along with the members of the district that I come from, they just flooded the mailbox, our mailbox, with cards of sympathy, emails, declaring their prayers, their love, their affection. When my family, my, specifically my wife, went through this terrible situation when she experienced the loss of three brothers in a time span of four months. This was horrible. And not even knowing us, many of you, many, it was not two or three, many of you, from here, from the Raymond Church, they just flooded. When we came back from that trip to Nicaragua, it was packed full. There was no space in that mailbox. And not only that, after that also. So I wanted to express appreciation, gratitude for that manifestation of your love, your support, and your prayers on behalf of our family. That is so much appreciated. Can't thank God enough for that. I'm very happy to see Pastor Nelson here today because it was from his lips that I heard that he went to Costa Rica on a mission trip with the members of this congregation. And so that brought a connection there. That was some years ago when I heard him mention that. And so you kind of look back to where uh, you were born and um, so I remember that distinctly, Pastor. And appreciate the inspiration you brought to my life in that regard, I am I can't wait until I'm done and meet my friends from Africa I am curious my wife always has to stop me from asking questions she helps me on that but I'm going to flood my brothers and sister with questions so I hope we can communicate somehow because I have many questions to ask to you that's a place I want to go someday I want to go to Africa want to be there and experience the joy. Did you know that around the world, out of every three Adventists, one lives in Africa? The church, the Seventh-day Adventist church, grows so fast in Africa that, I don't know if it's still that way, but I remember as a child when you would hear the mission story, There will be a church under a tree and you would have 200, 300 people under a tree. There was church. So I want to know, I want to experience the vibrant faith of my brothers and sisters there in Africa. So uh, I'll I'll, I'll be coming to you and I'll be asking you some questions about Africa, especially the country where you come from. after having said that, I'd like to invite you to just take a quick peek if you haven't yet, and that quote that is there. It's just uh, an icebreaker. Before honor is humility. To fill a high place before men. It's amazing, you know, the standards that heaven uses. Heaven chooses the worker who, like John the Baptist, takes a lowly, Place before God. So for a high position, God doesn't look for a high person. It's interesting that, like John the Baptist, who was willing to say to Jesus, Look, it is better for you to increase and me to decrease. This is not about me getting into the spotlight. The most childlike disciple is the most efficient And labor for God. That's where I wanted to get to. Who is the best? Who is God? Who is the person God can use in the most efficient way to labor in His cause? This just throws away any degree, any experience, any language that you know, and just turns you and me into little baby. That's why I couldn't resist go to the children's story. I pray God will give me a heart of a child, a mind of a child, the spirit, the attitude of a child. And I pray that will be your prayer as well as we come and sit at the feet at the foot of the cross, and Jesus Himself will taught us Yes, the most childlike disciple is the most efficient disciple. And labor for God. The heavenly intelligences can cooperate with Him who is seeking not to exalt self, but to save souls. I can tell you right now, my favorite praise in this church is never going to be this place. It's going to be in that pool behind that screen. You want to see a happy pastor, a happy camper? It's going to be in that baptismal pool. And when I receive on the mail... The bulletin just describing that Kevin Wilkinson Jr. was baptized last Sabbath. Can somebody say amen? amen? Is he here today? Right? Oh, there he is. There he is. I needed to mention him because for I don't know how many years, it's going to be at least eight or nine years, we've been neighbors in camp meeting. And I've seen little Kevin and his brothers and sisters, well, especially him, as a road engineer. He makes a lot of roads there. You know, the cars are coming and they're making all these roads and playing with their little cars there. They used to, now he's grown up. And I'm so glad he made that public statement that he belongs to Jesus now. He wants to be his disciple. He wants to follow Jesus every step of the way. Very happy for that. That's where I'm the happiest at in the baptismal pool. I hope those waters move and move and move and never stop moving. Not so much because we want to fill the church. We want to see the kingdom of God grow. Amen. That's the reason. There's a misconception that I've been part of. And I regret that with all my heart. Thinking that the mission of the church is to fill the church. No, it's because of the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the king of the kingdom is here. And he wants to see his kingdom grow and embrace people from all over the world. And I'm so happy that this is a multicultural church right here. People from different backgrounds. On one occasion, my wife and my daughter and I were traveling, visiting families. In, and the immigration officer says, what is this? Three passports. I'm from Costa Rica. My wife is from Nicaragua. We met in Honduras and we got married in Guatemala. (laughs) Things of life, you know. And now I hold three passports, a Cuban passport, a Costa Rican passport and now a U.S. passport. And so, but you know and I know that our citizenship is in heaven. I can't wait until I get that one. I'm looking forward to that. I I can't wait, really. I can't wait. Yes, the heavenly intelligences can cooperate with Him who is seeking not to exalt self, but to save souls. From communion with Christ, he or she will go forth to work for those who are perishing in their sins. As we get into our message this morning, Please bow your heads with me as we pray. Loving Father in heaven, today we are grateful for the beautiful music we just experienced a little while ago and for Jesus and all these things that are meaningful to us and that we appreciate. But we've come here to learn from you, Lord, and we are about to open your word And we pray, Heavenly Father, for you to work in a mighty and powerful way among us. We ask that you would be the one to touch us through your word. Make miracles of salvation, of transformation in our midst right here, right now. And actually begin with me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. in the, or at the Indiana conference, there was this pastor who had two smaller churches. And visiting, or as a member of that church, uh, there was a lady that lived and attended one of these uh, two churches. She was originally from Europe. And every year, she will go back and forth more than once. And one time, she came back with a gift for the pastor's wife. It was a beautiful gift. It was a puppet. It was one of those puppets that you could maneuver with strings. I think they are called marionettes. Well, later on, down the road, the pastor received as gift two more of them. Two more of those puppets, those marionettes and his wife named them one The male, Pedro, and the female, Margarita. Yes. These are the simple ones. You know, they just have a simple crossbar with four strings and the hand and the foot. So when you will maneuver, one, you will go something like this way or if you move it the other way, you will lift up the hand and the foot at the same time. Those are the simple ones. So... That's how they worked. And it was a beautiful gift. It was given to them. They appreciated it. They loved it. They liked it. So, interestingly enough, the pastor and his wife would take Pedro and Margarita. They would take it to the home where the, their grandson lived. And they would just bring him out. And they would dance them before them. You see? It was entertaining for them as grandparents. The child, the grandson liked it. And uh, the grandpas, you can imagine how much fun it was for them. It was fun just to watch everyone involved. Just seeing Pedro and Margarita as they moved those puppets there. But this other puppet from Europe was a very sophisticated one. It had more strings and even where the eyelids, you would move them, and it would open up, the mouth would go up and down. It was really sophisticated. And neither the pastor nor his wife could remember how it happened, but somehow those strings all got tangled up. Huh. And she was doing her best to try to untangle them and make this very complicated marionette work. Well, there was a member there in the church who was totally convinced he could do it. He could fix it. He was one of those people who were actually convinced he could almost fix anything. Well, somehow, he convinced the pastor's wife that he would be able to fix that poppet. When he brought it back, nor the pastor or his wife knew if he cut the strings or what he did, but it was ruined. It could never be fixed again. And what they realized or received from the hands of an overconfident church member, the ruining of a beautiful gift. And that's what I like to study with you today. So, please turn your Bibles again to our Bible text of this day, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. We're going to stay there. We're going to go back and forth to that passage today. Yes, our scripture for today, Matthew 5, 48. We are at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've come to a perplexing verse, a difficult verse, one that is hard to understand, and it says, remember? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, people have used this text to explain a way, or even to explain theology. And most people don't even understand what it's talking about. And so, it will be our purpose today, right now, to seek to understand what Jesus meant back then if we can understand that then we can make an application for us today for me and for you and we can go back home really rejoicing and thanking God for what he really wants us to grasp and take make it our journey make it our experience tool that will enrich our walk with the Lord and I am delighted to inform you that this passage is just loaded with good news amen Yes. So let's begin by clarifying what is not saying, what is not meaning this passage here. You see, the whole concept of sinless perfection, which is contrary to scriptures, has a prevalence with certain people's heart. And that's not scriptural. I like to know that some people have sought to soften the effect of this passage by saying just simply, Well... Humans are perfect and there's fair. And God is perfect in His fair. But it has nothing to do with that. You see? When they say humanity is perfect and there's fair and God in His, that might sound encouraging, but I've never met a perfect person. Have you? Okay, right there. And I know I'm not that person. Thank God for that. And so... I don't know if that comforts me or not. To properly understand this passage, we need to do three important things. Okay, The first thing that we need to do is to understand it in its context. That's going to help us. If we understand this passage, if we look at it in its context, it will really be a tremendous help for us. For that reason, I'm going to propose to you that we first take a look And what does the context tell us about the statement that Jesus made right there in Matthew 5, 48? So, let's go to Matthew 5, but this time, verse 20. Please look there, right there. Matthew 5, verse 20. Jesus says, well, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter The kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees had a belief system that they thought made them righteous. Period. That was their minds, that was their belief. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that, you can't even go to heaven. Imagine that in the minds of the disciples. They always look at the Pharisees and their understanding of righteousness and they want it to be like them. And Jesus all of a sudden says, unless your righteousness is greater than theirs, you will not make it to heaven. You can't be in heaven. Jesus will give six illustrations of how their concepts, their teaching and practices are contrary Actually, to the Word of God, he talks, number one, about murder, adultery, divorce, oath, retaliation, and six, loving people. The second important thing that we need to do to understand this passage is ask, who are these Pharisees? What is it about these people? What do they believe? What were their beliefs? You see, the individual... have one question in mind. Any Pharisee had one question in mind. And we find that in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Turn your Bibles there with me, please. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Every individual Pharisee have one main question in their mind. And we're going to read it. This is the question that haunts them. This is what drives them. And it says, Now... Behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have life eternal? There it is. That was their one question. What do I need to do to get to get to heaven? What good that I need to do? That's it. That was the question that haunt them, that just follow them wherever they were. What must I do? What good thing can I do to get to heaven? What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The question of this religious leader, this Pharisee. They were dedicated to doing right so they could go to heaven. That was their main thing. If I do everything right, if I get my act together, I know I'm going to be in heaven. That was their thought. They were lovers and protectors of the Bible as the word of God. They were careful keepers of God's law. In fact, So careful were they in keeping God's law that they had created laws about keeping the law of God. So they had kind of a halo around the law of God itself. That's why we talk about 600 plus laws regarding how to keep the Sabbath. This is how meticulous they were about keeping the Sabbath. They were so careful, they would add laws to laws. They were just building more and more laws. They were missionary-minded. In fact, Jesus said that they would score the sea and the land looking for converts. They were missionary-minded. They looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, and they were faithful givers of tithe and offerings. So they had some good qualities. Indeed, they were in Jesus' day an elite core of highly dedicated men. That's how they were perceived. You see, back in Jesus' days, ladies, you could not be a Pharisee, period. Today you could if you wanted to. But back in Jesus' day, no way. You couldn't be a Pharisee. There were 6,000 of them in the days of Jesus. They were called The separate ones. That's what the word Pharisee means. The separated ones. And they thought themselves to be the holy ones. The true community of Israel. They began about 150 years before Jesus came to earth. And in the time of the intertestament time. Known as the Maccabeans. The 400 years of silence. Where no prophet stood up and say. Oh, I have received word from God. So there was that silence. This is the time when they proliferated, when they started and they began their mission to become who they thought they needed to be. You see, the Greeks were in the land at that time and they had stopped the sacrificial system right there in Jerusalem. And Judas Maccabee and his sons, oh, they rose up and led a revolt a rebellion against the Greeks, and actually they kicked them out of town. Yes. And it's during this time that this sect, this group of people, came along and said, you know what? Israel was taken captive to Babylon because they did not keep the law of God. And we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. So that was... Their vision. That was their understanding. So with this tremendous interest in holiness, they began. That was their start. And they developed until they had very refined system of beliefs in the days of Jesus. And there they were. They were striving to capture and preserve true holiness. They had a goal. Their goal was this, that their holy lives would pave the way For the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one. They felt that if enough people could be holy, then Christ will appear in their days. They had one central problem. And that was their concept of sin. You see, if you don't understand what sin is, then your solution for sin problem would be wrong. If you don't understand sin, if you do understand sin and what it is and what it costs, then your solution for that sin problem will or could be right. They did not believe that a person had a sinful nature. They believed that sin was a specific act rather than a condition of the heart, of the mind. In fact, they believed that after Adam sinned and he was asked to leave the garden... There was no change. The same Adam that he was in the garden was exactly the same Adam and left. That was their understanding. Nothing had changed. Adam was the same person. They did not subscribe to what we call somebody having a sinful nature. They believed that men had impulses to evil, but those impulses could be controlled by the will. And that in particular could be controlled by studying the law and applying the law to your life. That was it. That was their solution. Yes. Very simple. And so for them, sin was an act. So if you didn't sin, if you didn't cave into that act, you didn't sin. And if you didn't sin, you were righteous. So righteousness to them was living without sin. Now, they had perfected the ability to live according to the letter of the law, but they missed the intent of the law, which was a changed heart that loves God and loves other people. Jesus addressed this in the Gospel of Luke. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. You see, Jesus addressed there in Luke, and he's dealing with people who who were Pharisees back in his day. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. We read this. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and do what? And despise other people. Check them out. You see, Jesus was right in front of them and he says... Those words of Luke 18, 9. Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despise other. There is the description of how Pharisees believe about themselves. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. They believed that they were no longer sinning. They were qualified to go to heaven because they were no longer sinning. The net result of that is they despise other people. Yes, that text is clear. It says there, they despise other. There is something about the belief system of the Pharisees that caused them to look down their nose at people who weren't trying as hard as they were to be who they were supposed to be. Sad. They could always find in a crowd somebody they were better than. Oh, they love to do that. Yes. They like to spot them people. And that's what made them feel good. I'm better than him, better than her. I'm doing better. That was what was going on in their mind. And so Jesus began to tell this story to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they also despised people. Now notice verse 10 right there where you are. Two men went up to the temple to pray. And guess who was one of them? A Pharisee, yes! One a Pharisee and the other, uh uh-oh, a tax collector. Now, these are two men that are on opposite poles when it comes to the beliefs of people in Jesus' day. You see, we look at the Pharisees and we say, oh, I don't want to be like one of them because we know the end of the story, right? But the reality is that in Jesus' day, Pharisees were national heroes. Yes, they were national heroes. They were highly regarded, highly respected people. So when Jesus says, two men went to pray, one was a Pharisee, they were thinking, aha, there goes the Pharisee, our national hero. Whoa, they cheered them up. And oh, there is a tax collector too, by the way. Who went to the temple as well. Now the tax collector were despi- despised in the days of Jesus. These tax collectors weren't like our IRS system. No. They were hired servants of Rome. Okay? And they, uh, and the way that it worked is they just basically were extortioners. They just extorted people as much money they could squeeze out of them. That was it. Rome would give somebody a geographical territory and they would say, we need X amount of money. Anything you make over that, you get to keep. That was it. And we have the Roman soldiers to back you up as you do that. So you're good to go. And so it became a very dirty practice, if you will. They were squeezing every dime they could get out of other people. No wonder they were so despised. And so they were considered traitors on the one hand, and they were taking their money on the other hand, and they were not appreciated. So you have a hero, and you have somebody that is despised, who go to church, who go to the temple, who are going there to pray. Jesus says in verse 11, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithe of all that I possess. Did you notice five times in this prayer, this Pharisee says, I, 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 I. Remember what's the the center letter for the word pride? Yeah. What is fascinating to me is when Jesus tells the story, he says in verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Some verses say he prayed to himself. The NIV says he prayed about himself. Whatever it is, is not a prayer to God. Can you agree with me on that? There is no indication at all that he has any concept of Of the holiness of God. Of the righteousness of God. And of his unworthiness even to be in the presence of God praying. No, none of that appears there in his prayer. He is just kind of basically thumping his chest saying, God, look how wonderful I am. Check me out. You see, you know, I don't do this, I don't do that. I am not like other people. I am a pretty good guy. I am a righteous individual. I am coming to heaven someday. I've earned my way there. Well, let's go now to verse 13. Jesus says, And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as rise his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In the New International Version it says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. But note how it's written in the Amplified Version. Oh God, be favorable, be gracious, be merciful to me, the especially wicked sinner that I am. Now Jesus is going to tell this story with a strange ending to the ears of the people in his day. He says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justify rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In the NIV it says, this one was justified before God. You see, despite the Pharisees' perceived goodness, Jesus pronounced him to be lost. But the sinner was saved. Huh. Have you ever heard that the Pharisees' sin was the sin of goodness? Have you ever committed that sin, the sin of goodness? Well, here's what, here's what the problem was. Good people who do not know they are not good people That was the problem of the Pharisees. Bottom line. It was human centered. And ultimately, it became an antichrist. In their efforts, in their desire to keep and protect the law, they actually crucified Jesus. It is rigid orthodoxy. But it's absolutely absent of love and compassion. These are the Pharisees. And that is the background of our text. We have an idea now what was going on. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says also, Right there in Matthew 5, 48. We read this before. We're going to hear it many times. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see, beloved, the Greek word here for perfect is used three times in all the Gospels. From Mark to John, the word perfect is only used three times. And two of those times appear right here. Did you notice it? Matthew 5, 48. Therefore, you shall be perfect. One, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. There is two. Okay? They're right there. Now, it just so happens that all three times are used by Matthew. Okay? Two of them right in the verse. You shall be perfect. And it's used one more time in the book of Matthew we're going to look at it right now. Go to chapter 19, please. Matthew chapter 19. We're going to read in verse 16. A young rich man, who is a Pharisee, by the way, comes to Jesus and right there in verse 16 it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now, Jesus will respond. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Oh, Jesus knows this person's heart. He knows where his conversation is going. He's going to meet him where he's at and tells him, well, keep the commandments. Ha, That is like music to the ears of the Pharisee. That was their job. They protected the law. They lived the law. They preached the law. So that's music to his ear. Oh, yes, I can do this. So he thought. Jesus is telling him, keep the commandments. And this was music to his ears. Now, verse 18 and 19, he says to him, which ones? Can you tell me which one of them? And I'll tell you if I've done it or not. Can you see he is engaged? He's got him. Jesus has this fellow on the hook, if you will. Jesus said, these, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Is there something that I'm missing? Could there be anything else that I have to do in order to get to go to heaven? And Jesus says, Yes! Verse 21. If you want to be perfect. There it is. The third one. If you want to be what? Perfect. If you want to be perfect, catch it. Do you see it? If you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have what? Treasures in heaven and come and follow me. What Jesus is saying there is, you think that you are keeping all the commandments, but it says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. How can you who have money not give to people who don't have money and say that you are loving your neighbor as yourself? How would you want them to treat you? You give everything to other people to alleviate their poverty. And we will be talking about being perfect. Because we are talking about loving people. That's it. Verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying. He went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Now the story continues. This is really interesting. Verse 23 and 24. Jesus said to the disciples. Assuredly I say to you. That it is hard for a rich man. To enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's one of those verses I like. Because I'm not considered a rich man. We know. We know. Here, this man had a lot of wealth. We know that about that young ruler. And we've been taught that the city gates back uh, then had a regular door and they had a smaller door called the needle. We've heard that. And it was small. But if you push, prod it, poke, pull, if you cursed, whatever you could, you could squeeze a camel through that small opening. You could get in there. That's not what Jesus is saying. In the Greek, it means the sewing needle. In other words, it is a phrase describing it's impossible. Not if you try, you push, you curse. No, it's impossible. You can't. If you are self-sufficient, you cannot go to heaven. End of the story. Now, the disciples... Pick up on that and they are going to ask him a question. Look at verse 25. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed and said, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Can somebody say amen? Beloved, We're about to experience miracles right here, right now, this morning. Because can you see where we're going now? This is just beginning to excite. I'm not even in the introduction yet. Just kidding. All right. (laughs) Let's get to the point because this is where really it gets good. Beloved, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. But what are we talking about? Let's go back to Matthew 5.48 and look at it in its context. Put these things together and see what we can come up because it's time for applications. Three times the word perfect is used in the Gospels. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. There's two of them. Alright? The other time is right there. If you want to be perfect, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. This is all in the context of loving. Loving other people, yes. Loving others. Jesus has just said, You are to love like God loves. He sends His rain on the just and the unjust. He puts out the sun for the just and the unjust. God loves everybody. You are to love everybody like God does. The context here is, we are to love the way God loves. That is perfection. That is perfection. Third and final thing that we need to do. We need to look at the passage that will give us the clue to fully understand what Jesus is telling us in Matthew 5, 48. So let's do that. Please turn to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6 will hit the nail on the head and make it so plain that we will be not confused. We will be so clear on this. Luke tells the same story, but he uses a different word to describe what Jesus meant. Luke chapter 6, verse 35 and 36 we see the same conversation taking place. And it says, But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the highest. And he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be what? Be merciful just as who? Who? As your father also is merciful. Instead of using the word perfect. Use, look. use what word? Look, Luke is using the word merciful. You shall be merciful. Just as your father in heaven is merciful. In the amplified version it says. So be merciful. Sympathetic. Tender. Responsive. And compassionate. Even as your father is All these, beloved, that is the goal of the message this morning. That God will make that miracle in your life and my life right here, right now. Because his instructions for you and me is, be merciful as your father is in heaven. See, I tell you, brothers and sisters, with men, this is impossible. But with God, it is possible. Remember the miracle that you and I need to experience every day. There's nothing in you, and especially in me, good enough to produce this kind of love. Our only hope, your only hope, my only hope is that every day you will ask Jesus to baptize you with his Holy Spirit. So that Jesus can come and live his life in you. And through you. So it's going to be his love. His compassion. It's going to be his forgiveness. It's going to be his patience. Do you have any of that? No. I don't either. But Jesus does have it. And if he comes and lives his life in you and in me. Then it's him doing it. In you and through you. Men will see him. Not you nor me. That's the miracle that we need to aim. And ask every day. And every moment of that day, it could be that 10 seconds after you pray that prayer, you might have to ask it again until it becomes a lifestyle in you and me. I'm in diapers in that. I'm learning. I'm in the beginning of it. Beloved, you see, the Pharisee could never do this. They thought themselves righteous and despised others. From the shoulder down, from the nose down, they looked at other people. You and I can never do that. We must never fall for that because it's in your genes and in my genes to do that. That's the nature you and I were born. Not the one God created when he made Adam and Eve. But sin came in and just got you and me infected with it and we pass it down to our children. And we need that daily miracle where Jesus will come by faith and abide in you. So that he can do just that in you and through you. But a Pharisee could not do that. And the Pharisees were the pastor, the religious leaders of their days. And today you and I need to look at this seriously and very hard. The Pharisee could never love another person because the problem with the sinful nature, which he didn't believe he had, is that sinful nature does not love. I'm sorry. Sinful nature does love but loves itself and only. And that's it. The sinful nature is in love with itself. In fact, you might say the problem with sin is that it is love. It is love of self. And it takes supernatural divine intervention to change that. And that's the miracle that I pray. You started praying already because I did this morning. And I need to remind me that every moment. That's the prayer. You and I need that supernatural divine intervention to change that every day, every moment of the day. That's why Jesus says, you have to be born again. You have to have a new heart. You have to be converted. That has to change. And the evidence to God that the change is taking place. Listen to me carefully. Is that you love God with all your mind, heart and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want to make an application that may be uncomfortable for some of you. Can somebody say amen? Listen to me carefully. The problem with Pharisaic religion in Jesus' day is that it's come all the way down to us, to our day. It was a problem in the New Testament church. Paul was forever fighting the Pharisees who were trying to bring something on the top of the gift. A beautiful gift called salvation in Jesus. But in the hands of an overconfident church member, it becomes ruin. It's of no value, of no good. You can be an outstanding member of this denomination You can be known for generous giving. You can be known for your careful giving. You can be known for being upright and moral. You can be even honest. You can have all these qualities and characteristics and be just as lost as the man who was praying in the story that Jesus told to himself. There is one thing and one thing alone that determines whether or not You and I get to go to heaven. And that is Jesus Christ in your and in my heart. And the way that God knows if Jesus is in your heart. You will love God. And you will love other people. Your brothers and sisters right here. Your neighbors, co-workers. You will love them to death. That's the evidence. To God. Yes. Yes. You will love other people. And that's what Jesus is saying when he says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is. Perfect. Is to be perfect in love. Right now, we don't have that to offer. Only God can offer that to us and through us. In fact, with men, this is impossible. But with God, everything, all things are possible. And in closing... Let me describe for you a couple of conditions you may be in or myself. One, you may believe that you are at that point where you love God with all your mind, heart and soul and you love your neighbor as yourself. Who am I to argue with you about it? Praise God. I'm glad you're there too. You may be in a position where you can honestly say you don't love God with all your mind and heart. And, soul. and you certainly don't love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, it's entirely less than that. Three, you may be somewhere in between where you have accepted Christ and you are trying to love God with all your mind, heart, and soul. And you're trying to love your neighbor, but it's a continual struggle. And it's a battle. One of those three conditions describe where you're at. I'll tell you right now, I don't believe any one person in this assembly is at the point where they can say, or I could say, we love God with all our mind, heart, soul, and our neighbor as ourselves. No, I don't believe any of us are there yet. But I believe a lot of us are right in the middle struggling trying to get to do to that point and i want to encourage you in your struggle hang on keep the struggle going you are saved by jesus amen the struggle is to just try to please him not to be saved so take the pressure off we want to love as jesus love because jesus is so neat and if you haven't accepted Christ as your savior, it doesn't matter how unrighteous you are. It doesn't matter how righteous you are. You are still lost. We need Jesus as my savior. I need Jesus as my savior every day. We need Jesus to love through you and through me. It's the only way. We cannot do it on our own. We can't make a beautiful gift call. The eternal life in Christ and in the hands of a overconfident member, he or she will just ruin it. So today the Lord wants to know if there's anyone here who will like to say, I want Jesus to be my Savior, to save me from myself. I want by his grace to learn. To love God with all my mind, heart and soul. Like Jesus did. So invite Him to do that in you and through you. Because you can't. You cannot. Nor can't I. But He can. And your job, my job, is to ask Him to come and do that in you and through you. Give Him total control. Choose to die to self. And let Him do that in you and through you. If you would like to say that to God. I'm going to ask you to stand with me just now. This is an experience that must take place every day, moment after moment. I need this. And I pray you would hear the Spirit of God speaking to your heart. Because there is not one of us who does not need this experience. I pray I did not entertain not one of you. Because the job of a pastor is not to entertain. The life of the messengers of God of the past was a very lonely life. They had to bring messages that were not happy messages. And everyone who's a spiritual leader, whether it be an elder, whether it be a lead deacon or a pastor, you know how lonely it gets. That's why we need Jesus. Let us pray. Loving Father in heaven, here we are. Take us as yours through Jesus. We are pitiful sinners, but we call upon your mercy. And we thank you that when we humble ourselves before you, you lift us up. Please come into our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you bear with me and pray one more time? Heavenly Father, I am saddened by the many times I been so foolish. Not just by omission, not to love My neighbor, my brother, my wife, the daughter. But it's when actively, express verbally, I hate, I don't like such and such. And Jesus, blessed Savior, Redeemer, You've made it so clear, especially to me today. That it was not about that person that I say that I hated or dislike. Actually, I was telling that to you when I said what I said. And today you're taking this community of faith, this body of believers beginning with the one who pretends to be a pastor or think he's a pastor. And I pray, Lord, that the pastor of all pastors, Jesus Christ himself, will take every one of us and live his life in us and through us. For that miracle, we pray, And we choose to believe and thank you for it. In his saving name we all pray and say, Amen.